So last week was a paradox for me. When I left last week, I don't know that I've ever left our church under greater conviction than I left last week. As I wrestled with the thought of loving God with all of my mind and all of my heart and all of my soul, and sitting under the weight of that and realizing that I've never kept that commandment for five seconds in the entirety of my life. And thinking about all of the competing thoughts that I have and all of the competing affections that I have and how easily off-center my life gets. But it's a paradox because I think, I don't know that I've ever left our church more convinced of the presence of God in our church than I did last week. Honestly, I wrote that sermon trembling. Those are the types of sermons that either get you taken to the county line or that show evidence of the presence and the Spirit of God in your church. And as I was preaching, I looked out over our congregation and I saw in your eye, I saw in your faces a genuine desire and a genuine passion to want to love God with the totality of who you are. And that's something that I can't create in you. And that's something that our elders and our pastors can't create in you. That's something that no person can make happen in you. That's something that only God can do in you. And and to look out over the whole of our congregation and to see you incited toward passion for God. And to see your, your spirits lifted toward the Lord convinced me. This is, this is a church that God can use. This is a church that God can use to do things that we can't even begin to imagine. And you know, I think that paradox, that tension, that, 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 that is the tension that, that we should come in week in and week out and we should seek to live in. We should seek to live in. That every week we should seek to come in and be confronted with the truth. And be convicted by the truth. And yet, though we're convicted and confronted in the truth, and the truth is difficult and weighty and challenging, at the same time, the gospel never leaves us in despair. And the gospel never leaves us hopeless. The gospel always is good news to us. It is good news to the church. It is good news to the sinner. And so it takes us and it takes our spirit and it elevates us and it encourages us. And so it leaves us not just convicted, but encouraged and worshiping. So I want to ask you, Because I don't want us just to be the kind of church that hears sermons and then forgets them. I don't want us to be the kind of church that that hears the word of God and then leaves it in the house of God. How did you do with the great commandment this week? How did you do with the great commandment this week? 
Did you seek to find your happiness in God this week? Or did you return back to all of those competing affections? Did you return back to finding it in all of those other areas, all of those other places? Did you, did you find yourself trying to recalibrate your life and center your budget and center your calendar and center all of the, your family on the, on the things of God and on the person of God? Or did you find yourself defaulting back to old habits? Did you find your mind focusing and being obsessed with and captivated by the manifold glories of God? Or did you find your mind obsessing about those old idols still? See, the most important part of the sermon is the application. The application. What does it transform in you? What does it transform in you? And you see, it's the application of the great commandment. The application of the great commandment that Jesus does in the second part of our text. I think it's the application of the great commandment that causes Jesus to keep going in the answer to the question of the Pharisee. It's applying what he's saying that causes Jesus to keep on talking. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 22 again this week, verse 34. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. When you get there, would you stand with me? Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40. God's word says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. So if you remember where we are, we're in Tuesday of Passion Week. Tuesday of Passion Week. So Jesus is going to be crucified on Friday, and it's Tuesday, and we're in the midst of a smear campaign in which the leaders of Israel are wanting to turn the crowds of Israel against Jesus so that they can have Jesus arrested and ultimately executed. But that's not going very well. Every single time, the leaders of Israel craft these questions. They craft these, these schemes to try to pin Jesus down so that the, he will be humiliated or embarrassed or in some way distorted in the eyes of the crowd, but Jesus finds a way to flip that question or to answer that question in a profound way that only leaves the crowd more impressed, more astonished, more amazed at how Jesus, uh, who Jesus is and the way that Jesus answers that question. 
And so Jesus has just answered the qu- question about the resurrection to the Sadducees in such a way that leaves everyone astonished. And the Pharisees have sent someone. They have sent in the big guns. They have sent in Matlock, okay? They have sent in their lawyer. They are law-loving folk, and they have sent in law dude number one, lawyer. Of all the lawyer, of all the law-loving people, he is considered a lawyer, okay? This is like... Out of the lawyers, this would be like Harvard Law Professor, okay? This is a lawyer. And he has come in, and he has come to ask a question that was a frequent question of the day. Out of all of the laws, Jesus, out of all 613 laws, which law is the weightiest? Which law is the heaviest? Which law is the most important? Which duty before God is the greatest duty of all the duties. It's most likely that they're coming at Jesus from this angle because their most consistent charge against Jesus has been that Jesus does not care about the law of Moses, that Jesus wants to abolish the law of Moses, that he is some liberal Johnny-come-lately that wants to basically do away with all of the teachings of the Old Testament, with all of the writings of God's law. And if they can establish that, They can show that Jesus is not a reliable rabbi, that Jesus is certainly not a prophet of God, and Jesus is most definitely, most definitely not the Messiah, okay? So they have come at Jesus with this question, but Jesus answers, as he has answered every single time, without deliberation, quite directly, that the the answer to their question is the most elementary law, the law that all of their children know, the law that all of their children quote both morning and night, a law they know as the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6 Five, that you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And loaded in that law, loaded in that quote, is an emphasis on that word your, if you'll remember. That this is your God. This is your God. That, that he loved you first. That the only reason that you have any of the law The only reason that you know any of this is because God came to you. God loved you. So God provided you with all of the writings. God provided you with all of the prophets. God provided you with everything from Sinai. God provided you with all of Moses. God gave you all of that because God loved you. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. So your responsibility to him is to love him back. And so this isn't about cold law-keeping. This isn't about meticulous numbering law-keeping. This is about joyful, loving obedience that the law was always to be an expression of worship an expression of love. It was never to be, as the Pharisees saw it, as this joyful scorekeeping as to how am I ranking in the eyes of God. It was always to be about my expression of love and worship toward the covenant God and how he loved me and now I'm responding back to him. But then Jesus, then Jesus does something that's very, very extraordinary. 
Jesus does something that, that is something that we would have never expected. Certainly something, not something that I would have done. Now, if I was in Jesus' situation, now remember what they're doing here. They're trying to give Jesus enough rope to where Jesus will hang himself, right? They're, they're trying to a- a- ask questions that are perfectly crafted so that Jesus will answer these questions in such a way that Jesus will, will, will get caught up in his words or that Jesus will turn the, that the crowd will find displeasing. So they're, kind of, they're trying to throw Jesus enough rope so that he'll eventually hang himself. Like, this is what you do in job interviews, isn't it? Right? Like, any of you that interview people, like, I wrote these long questionnaires when we were interviewing people and things like that, like, and I would write these questions in particularly deceptive ways, trying to be, you know, like, trying to give people rope so they'll hang themselves with answers and things like that, right? Like, that's what you do. You, 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 you interview people for the purpose of, of giving them rope so that they'll hang themselves. And that's what they're doing with Jesus. And so if I'm in Jesus' situation... If I'm answering questions at all, I'm going to look straight ahead, stone-faced, yes and no que- yes and no answers only, right? Like, I'm not given any kind of ad-lib here. I'm not given any kind of additional thing, uh, anything extra. But Jesus goes for extra credit. Do y'all notice this? Jesus goes for extra credit. Jesus answers a question that wasn't even asked. Jesus answers a question that wasn't even asked. The guy comes to Jesus, and his question is, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of them all? What is the heaviest? What is the weightiest commandment of them all? What is the foremost commandment? And Jesus answers it. Jesus answers it clearly. Jesus answers it unequivocally. But then Jesus doesn't let well enough alone, does he? Jesus says, well, there's another one like it. There's another one like it. Jesus is that guy in class. Hey, teacher, is there some extra work that I can do? Hey, teacher, I would just like some, some hobby work. I would just like something to do for fun, right? Like, I, I, you got some extra math I can take home just to do when I finish my homework. I would like some fractions just to work on for fun, right? Like, like Jesus takes it a, a step further. And it's extraordinary what he says. I've never, I've never thought about it, but I meditated on a phrase this time that I've never meditated on before. And it's the phrase that he says, if, you, if you'll look, and he said in, uh, at, in verse 39 at the very beginning, he says, and a second is like it. You ever thought about that? Is like it. He says, the thing about this next commandment is that it's like the first one. Now, remember what the first commandment is. The first commandment is rooted in the very first of the Ten Commandments, that you should have no other gods before me. It is out of the Shema, the one that they quoted day and night, that you should love God before everything else with the totality of who you are. And by the way, this is Jesus, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. And here's what he's saying. There is another commandment that is just beneath that one. There is another commandment that is so big. There is another responsibility that you have before God, another duty that you have to God as the people of God that is just beneath the great commandment. And it is so significant. It is so weighty. 
It is so important that it bears mentioning that I can't mention that your love of God without mentioning this one. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. That Jesus talks about that you are to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And then he says that there is another commandment that's like that. Like that. You know what Jesus is saying? You need to listen up and buckle up. You need to listen up and buckle up. This is radical. This is radical. This is weighty. This is heavy for the people of God. This is heavy in the eyes of God. This is a weighty responsibility on the people of God. That you cannot dismiss this. You cannot lessen this. You cannot dilute this. You cannot water this down. This is not something where there's flexibility. This is, there's, this is not something in which you can kind of ease off the burden. Jesus says that this is just beneath your responsibility to love God. I don't know that I've ever thought of it like that. I don't know that I've ever seen it with those kind of eyes before. What commandment is that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is, seek after their well-being with the same ferocity and the same intensity that you seek after your own well-being. Seek after their happiness with the same type of zeal that you seek after your own happiness. Seek after their, their, to meet their needs with the same type of research and the same type of passion that you seek to meet your own needs. Seek to eradicate their loneliness with the same type of desire and the same type of energy that you seek to meet to eradicate your own loneliness. Seek to help their standard of living be your, meet your standard of living. Whatever you would do for you, seek to do for them. Love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Whatever passion, whatever zeal, whatever energy, whatever intensity, whatever ferocity, whatever joy you want for you, want it for them. Whatever forgiveness you want for you, want it for them. Whatever happiness you want for you, want it for them. Whatever needs you want for you, want it for them. Whatever passions you want for you, want it for them. Whatever relationships you want for you, want it for them. What you want for you, want for them. And then go after it with the same levels of intensity, with the same levels of passions, with the same levels of zeal, with the same levels of intensity, with the same levels of generosity that you go after it for yourself. It's radical, isn't it? It's radical. And Jesus says that your responsibility to do it your duty to do it is just beneath your duty to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Now that's a radical commandment, but it's not a new one. It's a radical thought, but it's not a new one. 
As a matter of fact, if you look in, in verse 40, look what it says. It says, on these two commandments depend all of the law and all the prophets. Jesus is even saying here, none of what I'm saying is new stuff. I'm, I'm not coming up with new things. I'm not abolishing what has been, writ what has been written. I'm not doing away with what has been written. I'm bringing about, I'm bringing to life what has been written. Remember, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. It says in Matthew, right there, the ESV translated as depends upon, all the law and prophets depends upon these two commandments. A more literal translation is it, all of it hangs, that everything is literally dangling from these two commandments, that, that everything, if it's not for these two commandments, everything else would crumble. Everything else would, would, would fall apart. That if you take and you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four of the Ten Commandments all have to do with your relationship to God. The final six of the Ten Commandments all have to do with your relationships to other people. If you look at the entirety of your Bible, the entirety of your Bible, you can break the entirety of your Bible down into one of two categories. All of your Bible either has to do with your relationship to God or your relationships to other people, doesn't it? And who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the great mediator of the law. Jesus is the mediator of the law who has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law so that we can ultimately, finally, and forever live in perfect relationship with God and perfect relationships with one another in in glory with him. Now, why does he seek to answer this question? Why does Jesus take this opportunity to answer a question that wasn't asked? Why would he find in this conversation with the Pharisee to take it yet a step further? See, one of the things that you can't see in a man or a woman you can't see in a man or a woman whether or not they love God, can you? You can't, you can't see that. I can't see in your heart whether or not you actually love God. And you see, the way that the Pharisees thought is very similar to the way that many of us think. The Pharisees thought that by loving the law, you loved God. Loving the law, you love God. By following the rules, you show that you love God. By, 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 loving, by loving all the things around God, all the things about God, all the things that are near to God, that you loved God. And so Jesus is showing them that, that these two laws are so intertwined, that these two laws are so interconnected, that if you are living out the great commandment, if you truly love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind, the clearest evidence, the clearest application of that will be that it will be lived out in your life, it will be applied in your life, it will be demonstrated in your life by the way that you live out the second greatest commandment. It will be lived out in your relationships with other people. The Pharisees weren't so good with that, see. The Pharisees and the leaders of Israel had banned the disabled from the temple. Remember, that's what they're upset with Jesus about, right? It's 
It's one of the main things they're upset with Jesus about. Jesus had welcomed the blind and the lame into the complex of the temple. And he had healed them there and set them free there and welcomed them back into worship where they had been banned for generations. And so they said, we love the law, we love all the things around God, but what Jesus was showing them is your, the fruit of your life, the fruit of your relationships, the way that you are carrying out the second greatest commandment betrays your heart. It shows that you may love the law, but you don't love God. Because these things, they're interlocked. They're intertwined. So we could go all around our community this morning. We could go all around our churches this morning. And we could, find, we could ask person after person, door to door, do you love God? Do you love God? Do you love God? It would be scarce to find people that say, I don't love God. But if we begin looking at relationships... And we began looking at the way people treat waitresses and customer service representatives and husbands and wives and children and employees and supervisors. And we began evaluating their relationships. It could very well, re it could very well demonstrate something quite different. You see, what happens what happens is, is when we are awakened in salvation, when we, are, when we begin to confess our faith in Jesus and repent of our sins, and we realize that, that God has saved us, and that, that we have been forgiven of a debt so great that we could have never been forgiven, and we begin to love God with all of our hearts, and we, we realize that we have been, been, been pardoned of a, of a debt that we could have never been fixed, and we, we begin, to begin to enjoy grace for the very first time, and we begin to run after Jesus with all of our hearts. There's a, a combustion that happens inside of our hearts. A combustion that happens inside of our hearts. And you can't see it from the outside. You can't see it from the outside. But there's this internal combustion that takes place. And where there used to be bitterness, now there is grace. And where there used to be stinginess, now there is generosity. And where there used to be, be self-indulgence, now, now there is compassion for other people. And where there used to be impatience, now, now there is mercy for other people. There's this combustion that takes place that changes your attitudes and changes your perspectives and changes the way that you see others because you realize that in the eyes of God, you should have been one thing, but now you have been changed and you are profoundly something else. And so there's this internal combustion that takes place in the heart and soul of a man or a woman as you are awakened to the glories of God and to the kindnesses of God and to the mercies of God and to the graces of God and to the manifold glories of God. And so there's this internal combustion that takes place and so that you are awakened to the glory of the great commandment and you begin to run after God and love God and be passionate about God. And you can't see that. But do you know what happens when this internal combustion takes place? You begin to set everything on you around, around you on fire. You begin to set all of your relationships on fire. 
it's, it's a smoldering wick that's inside of you. And you really can't see it, and you really, don't, you, you really can't measure it. But what you can see is all of a sudden, you start treating your wife different than you used to. We're used to, there was contempt. Now there is grace. You begin to relate to your children differently. Because you are now a child of God. And he relates to you differently. You begin to to be patient with those customer service representatives. Because, man, God has been patient and forbearance with you. You begin to be different with the waitress, even though she she may not deserve it in some way. Because God has been remarkably generous with you. You begin to be different with your supervisor. Man, he may, be, he may be mean, or he may be this, or he may be that. But you think, I can be bitter? But what? how can I be bitter? Look at what has happened in the scope of eternity. And so where there used to be bitterness, now there is mercy. And so you relate to him differently. Because there has been a combustion that has happened in your heart. And now it is setting on fire all the ground and all the relationships around you. Because of the great commandment in your soul, it is, it is beginning to overflow into the second commandment all around you. There is an interconnectedness of these two commandments that cannot be broken. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard. And what makes it hard, what makes it hard is that our lives are built on merit. Our love is rooted in merit. And what we think, what we do is we size people up and we think that person is worthy of this. And I am worthy of this. That person is worthy of this much forgiveness and I am worthy of this much forgiveness. That this waitress is worthy of this much tip, and this waitress is worthy of this much tip. This, this, this customer service rep is worthy of this much of, of, of kindness, and this, this customer service rep is worthy of this much kindness. Today, my wife, she's worthy of this much kindness, and today, she's worthy of this much kindness. We, 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 we find somebody in need. We have a, a neighbor that, that is in need. We have a, a member of our church that is in profound need. We know that they're in need, and here's how we process it. They don't deserve it like I do. They don't wake up early like I do. They don't work 60 hours a week like I do and then go to t-ball practice on top of that like I do. They aren't managing all the things that I manage like I do. They don't invest went like in sacrifice like I do. They don't save when they could be spending like I do. They aren't prudent like I am. They aren't doing without so that they can have later like I am. They don't deserve it. I do. I do. And the problem with all of that, brothers and sisters, is that it is anti-gospel And it is anti-Jesus, and it is anti-cross, and it is anti-great commandment. Because he is the Lord, your God, who came in pursuit of you, 
when you were bankrupt in your sins and had nothing to offer him and had no hope of getting to him and had nothing to your name and he came to you and he loved you and he credited your account with his righteousness and he said this is not a one-time credit this is an eternal credit for now and forever so that you can come and enjoy my inheritance forever and know my kindness forever not based on your merits but based on the merits of my son it is the heart of a pharisee that says it is a plus b plus c that deserves d it is the cross it is the cross that says it is not for self-indulgence but self-sacrifice that says love love your neighbor as yourself let me credit your account with mine it is hard brothers and sisters it is hard but in the kingdom of God we do not size up based on merit we do not size up based on what they deserve or what on, on what we deserve. We size up based on the cross, on a beam that is vertical and a beam that is horizontal that we didn't get when we deserve based on our merit. The question changes. The question changes. It is not what do I give based on what is proportioned to what they deserve. It is based on what have I been given based on what Jesus has done? And in light of that, how would I want to be loved if I were in that situation? How would I want to be loved if I were in that situation? If I were a visitor in our church and I didn't know a soul, how would I want to be loved? If I was a waitress having a bad day and I had kids to feed at home, how would I want to be loved? If I was a customer service rep meeting a child of God, how would I want to be loved? If I was on the other side of the world and didn't even know the gospel existed, but you knew, how would I want to be loved? If I had rejected the church again and again and again, but you had found a love like this, how would I want to be loved? Brothers and sisters, as we struggle and as we battle to live out and to love as our neighbor as ourselves, here is our task. Let us remember the cross. As often as we find ourselves given to self-indulgence, let us remember the cross. As often as we want to size up our neighbor and wonder what they deserve, let us remember the cross. As often as we want to cling tight fisted to what we have. Let us remember the cross as often as we want to give back, as often as we want to hold on to what we should give back. Let us remember the cross, for it is the cross again and again that reignites the internal combustion in our hearts so that we might again set ablaze all of the relationships around us, that we might ignite a forest fire, a raging inferno in our community of gospel love that starts here and spreads to the nation, to the worship of Jesus Christ. Because brothers and sisters, that is countercultural, that is radical, that is worship, and it 
is beautiful. Let's pray together.